I know when I transitioned to traveling for two years and building passive income streams, I also took like two other part-time remote positions. And then my full-time position became a part-time remote position. So I had like three while I was building my passive income. So it was kind of like, it allowed me to transition to passive income without like a huge risk. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, where today we have on Sean Pan and Sharon Sung, who are going to talk about their real estate, their online business, their influencer adventures. But before that, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, I mean, this weekend is one of those weekends that really... I guess kind of reinforced to me that you don't always have to be like traveling and globe setting to, to really have a good time and enjoy yourself. And there's a lot of good connections to be made in your kind of own backyard. So on Friday, we went paddleboarding downtown in Austin, which is one thing that's awesome about having the truck. Now I can just like have everything ready to go, go downtown. I don't have to like pack and unpack things in the back of the car. Then on Saturday, we had a friend's birthday, had a big barbecue. He roasted a whole hog, which was kind of crazy. Um, that was interesting. And then Sunday was mine and Leslie's seven-year anniversary of dating, and so that was that was great. We got to do a little bit of stuff together and some stuff with other friends. We went hiking out at Pedernales State Park. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it's this gorgeous area about 45 minutes outside of Austin. I had a nice dinner, kind of had some chill time spread out in between there, but all that is to say we just stayed local in Austin and had an awesome time and just makes me realize like I don't have to stay on the road all the time. How about you, Cody? Yeah, I've definitely been feeling that actually the same thing since we've been back because we were just gone for pretty much all of May in Europe. And then I get back and I realized going to the bar downtown in my like small town with my friends is, you know, one of the one of my favorite things, like just kind of hanging out with those those old time friends that you have jokes with from 15 years back. And, you know, you just you just kind of miss those connections when you haven't had them for a while. I know we've talked about that on the show before. But actually, speaking of old friendships, my friend Ben, who I rode with on the bus in third grade, <laughs> just got married this past weekend up in Maine. So we were at their wedding for the whole weekend. It was at this beautiful venue, like right by the water. It was awesome. It was like one of the best weddings I've ever been to. So we got to celebrate that and go and hang out up you know, near the beach. And then on Sunday night, we unfortunately got to watch the Celtics lose. So <laughs> let's hope the rest of the series uh, works out in Boston's favor, but I know I will be cheering them on and watching all the games, but yeah, Sunday night was a tough one for me. But Justin, that's enough about us. Let's tell the listeners about the awesome free spreadsheet you're giving them. Yeah, Cody, I'm excited to make this available to all the listeners. It's the spreadsheet that I use personally from the time I started in 2015 when I had 38K to track. And now I've got this spreadsheet that shows everything I've spent all the way up to today. We're busted over that million mark. And so it's a tool that I've found kind of stood the test of time. It's got all the categories in there for you. And I think it's just a really simple tool that's worked really well for me. And I hope it works well for the listeners. All right, Justin, I can't let you get away with not hyping yourself up enough because I've seen this spreadsheet and it is just all encompassing. It tracks all of your expenses. It tracks your net worth month to month. It tracks your income. It has kind of a ledger of all of your different accounts, whether that's bank accounts, 401ks, IRAs, anywhere where your money is sitting, Justin has a place for it. And so basically what Justin did was he took his spreadsheet that he uses himself. He made a template version for all of you guys to use. And he went ahead and recorded a video to show you exactly how he uses it month to month to track his net worth, income, and expenses. 
You can grab all of that for free at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. All right, so on today's episode, we have on Sean Pan and Sharon Sung. Now, these two are just masters of passive income. And they actually started making passive income independently of one another. And then, you know, they started dating and realized they both had very similar interests. They've invested in real estate. They both built online businesses. They both have multiple hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. And we really get to kind of dig into their full journey and focus on how they got so good at building these passive income businesses. And that's something that was really interesting to me is that a lot of these businesses, a lot of these you know, quote unquote side hustles that they're doing, they're not trading their time for money on a linear basis. And you guys have probably heard me say this a million times, but they're really intentional about building things that can scale, building things that they put a lot of effort in at the beginning, and then they can reap the benefit of that effort later on. So I really enjoyed this episode. I think there is a ton in here for everybody. Yeah, Cody, I think especially with our current like economical environment where Maybe some things are too expensive in your local area and you want to lean into some of the things they've done with investing kind of out of state. Or maybe inflation has caused you to feel like you need a little bit more income coming in, but you don't have enough time. And so you need to figure out how to do it in a passive way. I think there's a lot of different angles in which people can find value from this episode. This is definitely not just a real estate episode. So whether you're interested in some of those things I just listed or you know someone who is, you can find the show notes or share this with a friend over at thefyshow.com slash Sean and Sharon. That's thefyshow.com slash S-E-A-N-A-N-D-S-H-A-R-O-N slash Sean and Sharon. Take it away, Sean and Sharon. I grew up in a pretty, I guess, regular middle-class family. My mom was an engineer. My dad was a realtor, but he never really talked to me about real estate growing up. It wasn't really until I was 21 years old working at my first internship from college at a large defense contracting company. So I thought, you know, after graduating, I would work at a big company like this. But then come to find out a lot of my coworkers who were 30 years older than me, basically my parents' age, they were really unsatisfied with where they were financially. You know, they would complain about how they don't have enough money to do you know, basic things like maintain their lawn or upgrading their, their house. Like it was pretty sad, to be honest. And I figured from that conversation that I need to do something when I was younger to not have that same future. So that's why I started to take more risks. So I reading books, podcasts, and here we are 10 years later doing all this stuff. <laughs> and Sharon, was that the same for you? Do you kind of resonate with that? Yeah, I guess with me, same thing, like middle-class family. My parents definitely taught me a lot about saving. I learned the value of money. I, I taught chess at five different chess schools when I was in high school. Yeah, college took multiple jobs, was in res- a resident assistant and stuff like that. So I saved that money, but I didn't think too much on like building passive income or getting cash flow. I learned a lot more about investing in passive income like further on. I did start putting into Roth IRA in the, like pretty early on, but I think like a lot of it came from me kind of feeling like, oh, I want that financial freedom to be able to travel more, to do more with my life. And that kind of sparked a lot of like studying and taking action. I think my parents wanted me to go the, the normal route of like taking a job, staying, <laughs> staying in a nice job and like you know, getting promoted and stuff like that. So that kind of transition happened when I like traveled more and I realized I needed that freedom for myself. So Sharon, I know you just mentioned you were kind of the chess master. You were doing all this different chess tutoring all around different high schools and whatnot. So you already have this entrepreneurship under your belt. But if I'm not mistaken, you did kind of go into that traditional job. I think you worked at Google. My research serves me correctly. 
I guess why not lean into the entrepreneurship? Was it just like a lot of pressure from the parents or did you just say, you know what? I don't think I'm quite cut out to do this thing full time. I've been in marketing for like 10 years. I actually am still working in marketing, but I am like doing my side hustles, building my brand. I know when I came out of college, I wasn't thinking too much about like what I wanted to do with my life. During college, I was just getting good grades and having fun. Didn't really think too much. I thought marketing was a good blend of like my analytical and creative skills. And I think it all applies to like what I'm doing with my personal brand. So it's like nice that I went into that job and like took those skills and brought it to like all my side hustles. So I'm okay with doing both right now because I actually, I feel like I chose a job that I'm actually learning and I'm like enjoying. So I'm okay with it. So whenever there's a time where I'm like, you know what, I don't want to do this now. I have like the freedom to just like leave if I want to. And so I guess, Sean, having the dad who was a realtor and seeing his success, seeing some of that, I guess, entrepreneurial money come in, because it sounds like, I don't know if that was his full-time job, but he was at least making money outside of a day job. And you kind of had this revelation that you didn't want to, you had to do something different. You didn't want to have that, like, stay in the corporate job forever. What did that first step look like for you in terms of entrepreneurship? You know, it's funny because like I mentioned, my dad was a realtor and a property manager for pretty much my whole life growing up. I didn't know he was making decent money until after I got into real estate myself. You know, I always thought he wasn't doing that well. I thought my mom, who was an engineer, was doing way better than him. And yeah, anyways, he didn't tell me much about real estate in the business. He doesn't really invest himself, which is, again, another lesson that I learned personally. He went the property management route, which meant that he had to deal with everyone else's problems. Whereas I learned through by being the landlord, you can then hire a property manager to deal with your problems. So we much rather prefer that than property manager. So I don't work as an agent. I don't work as a property manager because I've seen my dad do that. And that's not a lifestyle that I want. My first steps in entrepreneurship were probably when I was around 24 years old. It's about three years since I started getting into financial independence and understanding different things. It takes some time to really get started. In the beginning, we were just investing in stocks and whatnot. And then my first foray was really, I think, I think selling products on Amazon. These are all before we met each other, by the way. So it's funny that we had independent roles, but we end up in the same like conclusion or whatever. So when we met each other, it was perfect. Like, oh, you do that too? Cool. So yeah, for me, it was selling products on Amazon. But then for me, unlike her, it didn't go as well. I was selling selfie sticks and it was just hard. Like when you sell a product, you have an inventory risk. You have the risk that the platform can remove a lot of your reviews. So it doesn't sell as well and all this stuff. So at the end of the day, you make a couple hundred bucks, but you think I did all this effort for a couple hundred dollars. It's not super exciting. And what about like when you guys actually met each other? Did those things kind of continue to go? Did you bounce ideas off of each other or kind of how did that look when you actually met each other? Well, I think that because we were doing those things that definitely like created that bond, like on our dating profiles, like he had real estate investor, I had like fire movement. So we we're like, oh, cool. And then we like <laughs> talked about that a lot. I think that, yeah, we just kept it all going. I feel like we discussed a lot about our goals and we talked about like our real estate goals and our like online business goals. And we just kept kind of working on those things. We ultimately started gravitating towards like building a personal brand and like investing more out of state. So that's just what's come of like how we've been doing things, I guess. We just like discussed what our goals were and then we started going towards those paths. And so I don't think you guys mentioned this word, but I'm guessing it's part of your journey is frugality. And I'm saying this because, you know, you guys are pretty public about numbers. You're sharing like what you're making on flips. I know, Sharon, you've had some stuff recently. I think I just saw like an Acorns article the other day. And you guys are making like mid five figures a month. And I also just saw that you went on a honeymoon cruise for like less than a thousand dollars. So this is just kind of just context into 
how has frugality kind of played a part in this whole fire journey, just like everything you guys are doing with your money? And do you see that as kind of being a foundational part of your, I guess, personal finance choices moving forward as your income continues to climb? Yeah. So I think frugality is also another reason why we're so like attracted to each other because we're very <laughs> much the same person. I don't know. It's hard to think about because I don't feel cheap, right? I feel like we spend on things that we really like, but then we just don't spend on things that we don't care about. So as an example, I drive a Corolla. She drives a used Nissan Sentra. Our cars look terrible. Like we never get a car wash. Our house here is relatively affordable here in Dallas. And even our wedding, we spent what, 13000 14000 on the whole wedding, which is pretty affordable considering that most of my friends are doing 50000 to to $100,000 for their weddings. And yeah, like you mentioned, our honeymoon was $1,000. But it's also because she likes looking for deals. You know, that's like a fun thing for her to go online, look for deals on like a Royal Caribbean or even when we're going on flights, right? We're going to Europe in just a few weeks. She likes hunting for those deals, just like she likes hunting for real estate deals online. So I guess that's what it is. It's more like we like spending. Don't get me wrong. So we spend on restaurants all the time. Our food budget is probably in the 2000 a month range. Possibly, yeah. Because we go out almost every single day. We don't care, honestly. Whatever's on the menu, we don't look at the number. We can order it. But we don't spend money on like fancy clothes, jewelry. She doesn't have anything pierced on her face or ears. <laughs> like she, I got her a ring, engagement ring. She lost it the first time she wore it. <laughs> you, yeah. You don't drive nice cars, don't have fancy clothes. And yeah. yeah, I feel like experiences are the things we care about more. So we're like cool with it. But I think also, yeah, I like hunting for deals. I like just getting the best like value out of like how I spend my money. So it's like, if I can get a cruise for less money, I might as well do that. If I like will still get the same enjoyment by not like booking with the cruise for the cruise excursions, like the tours and stuff, like I'd rather just go to the destination and book it there because it's like not really a difference and it still gives us the same joy. Yeah, it's the same thing, just cheaper. Exactly. I just think it's based off of like what we value. And then like, I think because we approach money the same way, it's definitely helped us with like growing our wealth. We just put a lot of that back into our business or in our investments. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. We spent a couple hundred thousand dollars last year on buying properties or renovating properties. So there are expenses that go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely all about the priorities. And Sean, you know, it sounded like, I don't know if, I don't think negative is probably the right word, but like the way you saw like real estate from your dad, you didn't think he was making a ton of money. You saw him doing a different side of real estate. So like, what made it still like so enticing to you to really dive into when from your view, it, it actually didn't seem like the greatest thing in the world from what you were seeing? Yeah, good question. And again, I want to clarify, I think it was just seeing the way he was doing it, right? Like he was doing it as a commission based role. So again, back then, I didn't really understand how much he was really making because I guess values were different back then. But when I got into real estate investing, it wasn't to be an agent. Like I didn't have the glamorous dream of, oh my God, I'm going to be like a millionaire real estate agent. It was more so when I started pouring into the real estate investing side, like, oh, I can be a landlord and buy a property that cash flows every single month that appreciates as time goes by. And as my debt goes down, because the tenant is paying for all my expenses and then some, that was exciting to me. So when you guys met, and I guess just to put a timeline on this, when did you guys start kind of side hustling, getting involved in, I know you mentioned Amazon, it was kind of the start for you, Sean. Sharon, I don't know if we got into that part yet, but nevertheless, like when did you start kind of side hustling? And then when did you guys end up meeting each other and seeing that you had all these similarities? So basically, I like took this month long Europe trip in 2014, and that just opened my eyes to all the life I was missing out on. And then that prompted me to actually start looking back into real estate because I actually did invest in my first property in 2013. 
I was like, okay, let me go to meetups. And then I started coming across like books about like building online businesses. And then I started moving towards that side. So started my own blog. And then like I built an Etsy shop selling digital products. So those were probably like the first online side hustles I started. And then I went into like writing Kindle books. And then I did like merch by Amazon selling shirts there. I did Amazon FBA. Like I just tried a bunch of different ones and then documented them on my blog so that people who are interested, they could see like how the the progress was for each one. So that was my thing. And then I found that like all of them really work if you actually like put the time in and you're like consistent with it. So it's just that like we move towards like the personal brand side because it's like more fulfilling for us, I think. So I traveled for two years while building these passive income streams. And then I came back because I was like, I didn't feel fulfilled just like trying to grow my income number. So like now, like the things we're doing is like way more fulfilling than all the little income streams that I was building before. Yeah. And for me, you know, I spent around three years or so just reading books and consuming more content about how to get financial free in the first place. So then, yeah, that first step was for me to do Amazon FBA, selling some eBooks online as well. I even tried doing a startup company with my friends but that didn't turn out very well. But then ultimately it was real estate. It was like, oh, real estate makes sense. It's a very formulaic process where you buy a property that's relatively cheap, that cash flows from day one, and that's it. Boom. So by the time we met each other, I had a small portfolio. She had one property or so. And then we started investing together and doing more personal finance stuff and personal branding. Well, it seems like real estate is definitely where you really landed and started seeing the growth. I've heard flips. I've heard landlord. Like what all ways are you trying to make money with real estate? Personally, I have done flip projects in the Bay Area. Those, again, they range. Like you can either make hundreds of thousand dollars per flip. You can also lose hundreds of thousands. So I've had both sides. We own a lot of rental properties. So those are just very simple buy and holds where you buy a property and it cash flows from day one. We also do have an Airbnb. So my old house that I used to live in, I used to house hack it. Now that we moved out, we are now renting that out as a short-term rental. We did a recent Burr project. So we bought like this moldy house. It was like super distressed. We bought it at like $120,000 and now it's appraised for $330,000. And then we recently did that cash out refinance and we're planning to do more possibly projects like that as well as Airbnbs. I think those are kind of the things that are interesting for us right now, especially that we moved to Dallas recently. We moved in January. So we're planning to do more real estate, like investing out here. You know, the Bay Area is like super expensive. It's a little more risky to like go into those projects. So it's nicer that the price point's lower in Texas. So yeah, that's pretty much our focus. Like I think short-term rentals and possible burrs or maybe flips, but we always like to keep the properties. We have like 32 units now. I've never sold a property because I just like enjoy having more assets. <laughs> yeah, and when you sell a property, you also have to pay like a lot of taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's especially very true. Flips. Yeah. You can't 1031 flips. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I think we do want to do more active real estate just because if we got like a whole system and have like the right team, we could potentially have tons of deals going at the same time, possibly. And that might require more flipping instead of just holding everything. So can we dig into the iconic moldy house for those who don't follow you guys on any social media platforms yet? You guys just did an awesome job documenting. And I feel like that's what you were just talking about, Sharon, like the personal brand and helping people and like being super transparent. But for those who don't follow you, like I said, so how does this work? So you find this house, it's 120,000, I think, is it $80,000 of work you put into it? I, I just looked at this today when I was doing all my research on you guys. So like, where does that money come from? You 
Are you saving that up yourself? Is it a hard money lender? Is it through some other third party? And then could you just quickly explain like what a cash out refinance is after we go through that whole process there? So I'll take that one. So for those who don't know, a BRRRR is just an acronym for buy, uh, renovate, rent, refinance, and the last one is optional, repeat. Basically, you can buy a property for a low price, you can renovate it, and then when you refinance, you're supposed to get almost all of your equity out. So at the very end of it, you now own this cash flowing property with none of your own money, basically giving you infinite returns and possibly more than infinite because you get money back out, which is what we did. Um, she found this deal actually through Facebook group that she's a part of where a wholesaler was selling this property. Again, super distressed, mold all across the home. Like you cannot live in it. No normal home buyer would buy this property. Right? This is just not something that a normal person would do. It doesn't need an experienced investor who has the guts to take on this project. Now, because it is so molded out, we do need to go through something called mold remediation. You can't just have some random person go and clean it up because again, the significance of it, you do need to have like a licensed mold remediation company go through. Uh, it has to be inspected and cleared by again, another third party. We spent around $60,000 on the renovation itself, 20,000 on the mold remediation and 60,000 on the actual repairs. The whole process took about six, seven months. And then we did our cash out refinance. So what a refinance is, is basically you are putting a new loan on the property. When we bought the property, we had actually saved up the money ourselves from other ventures. So we bought it for $120,000 and then we got a private money loan and then we gave them 8%, I guess, interest only rate on their money. So we were able to use that money freely to do renovations and whatnot. So then when we did the cash out refinance, you know, we got paid back all of our money. We paid back our private money lender. And now we only have one giant loan with the bank. And the loan on the bank is like 4.375%. And again, because it appraised for way more than we bought it for and way more than we put into it, we were able to cash out $240,000 on this new loan. And we only put in 200,000 into it. So we actually got 40 grand back out on top of whatever we put into it. So 40 grand yeah. and then also paying back that private private money loan. So, that, so that interest, so it might be more like 30 something thousand, but yeah. Net. yeah. <laughs> Plus equity in the property and that's cash flowing and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. No, I mean, that's incredible. And Sharon, when you, it sounds like you found this in a Facebook group, kind of when you see this come up, what's going through your mind as far as like, what made you think that this was a good idea? And then when you're looking at it, digging into the numbers, like how did you come up with an estimate of what you thought it would take to renovate this and, and to feel comfortable thinking it was going to be profitable if it was so distressed? Yeah, I think when I was looking at it, I definitely were like, I was looking at comps in the area to see the average of like what the home prices were in the area. I think we were thinking it would possibly be between 260 to 300,000 is what we were targeting. This was definitely new for me though, because this was my first burr. He's done flips before, but like this was kind of like my first thing for this path or this way yeah. of real estate investing. <laughs> I wanted that experience. Like I wanted to kind of work with the contractors, like fix this place up. I think like a lot of our previous projects was more like you know, buy and hold and we work with the property management company who has like the best insight on like how to make the property rent ready. So essentially like we'd work with them who would work with contractors and we would just kind of supervise, I guess. And I think like working directly with the contractor was definitely like a new experience for me. And I just wanted to also attempt it for the learning experience. So I think with everything in my life, I always try the thing right, like right away instead of just having that action paralysis or whatever because I know that like I'm going to learn a lot from that and then just like take that blueprint and replicate it 
So that was the thought process. I knew that we'd probably do pretty well on it. And I think luckily enough, we did. You never know. But like, I think we we did a good job kind of like estimating costs and things like that. As far as the estimation, like getting those, like the cost of remodeling and the cost of the mold remediation, was that something you had time to kind of gather some data on before you had to make the offer? Or did you just kind of have to take a guess with your gut? So I think going into it, we already had experience with renovations. Like we've done complete gut jobs in the past in the Bay Area and other parts of the country, but never in this specific city. So that was always a question mark factor. Like, okay, I know what it costs in the expensive market, the Bay Area. I also know it costs in a really cheap market. Where are we in somewhere in the middle? So I did my best estimate and we came up with the figure of actually being around $200,000. So mm-hmm. that's what our estimation was going into it. And that's why we put the bid on at that price. 80,000, but like that's what I meant. Yeah. Total. But <laughs> yeah. when we finally got into it, we got a lot of crazy bids. You know, someone even bid me $300,000 through the same job. And I'm like, that's the cost of the entire house, brand new. Why would I pay you this much? So I think that's another lesson too. You have to be comfortable making a lot of phone calls because, you know, she was there. I called over 20 people and I've met with at least 10 people on site. So that is part of the job to get the best pricing and to kind of know who's doing the work. Yeah, luckily we were staying in that area and then the Airbnb host actually referred us to this mold remediator who gave us the quote that we ended up going with. And even the contractor that we ended up going with was someone who's bidding against us for the property in the Facebook group. But I found him in the Facebook group and I was like, let's connect. And we ended up like wanting to possibly pursue like a long-term partnership in the future and like work on projects together. So I think you never know who you're going to meet. So like always try to like you know, go to meetups, go to networking events, put yourself out there on Facebook groups and stuff like that, because those people might end up working with you on these projects. Couldn't agree more. I mean, the only reason we're talking right now is because we met at FinCon or through the online. I'm not exactly (laughs) sure how it all happened, but (laughs) we're here now. (laughs) I'm curious how you guys kind of split things up. Like you're a team. You guys obviously are both investor savvy. Like you have both have real estate under your belts. I mean, and online business under your belts. Does one person like focus on certain parts of the business because those are your strengths? Or I'm curious because sometimes, you know, couples work together. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I actually saw that hilarious video you guys posted the other day of uh, a little fail when you guys are trying to record a video. So I guess it's not 100% smooth all the time. But (laughs) how do you guys usually spit things up and work together? (laughs) I would say she's really good at seeing big picture stuff and trying new things. I feel like I'm very busy all the time, so I don't have the mental capacity to think outside the box, whereas she's really good at, oh, let's try this, let's try that. But what I'm really good at is doing the due diligence. So she doesn't pick up her phone, right? I'm the one that's always replying to people on phones, emails, everything. So when it comes to paperwork being done, when it comes to number crunching, talking to like individual contractors, I'm the one that does that. And when it comes to trying different strategies or even finding good deals, that's mostly her camp. Yeah, he's way more extroverted than I am. Like, I feel like I'm more introverted. So like, I'm like, here, you go call this person. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like he's better at talking and stuff like that. So I let him do a lot of that. He's good at like the operations, I feel like. I keep track of what needs to be done because, you know, there's a lot of moving moving pieces, right? So you have to make sure that everything gets done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I enjoy like the bigger picture thing and just figuring out, okay, here are going to be our like goals. And this is the strategy we're going to use to get there. And then like every month, like this is what we're going to do. So I think we get along in that way that like we complement each other with our different skills. Not to say we don't butt heads sometimes like you saw on our story. (laughs) So I just wanted to keep it real too, because I think all like partnerships or whatever, like business partnerships, you end up, you might have different opinions with the other person. And 
that's always going to happen. I think I'm grateful, though, that we have our different skill sets and personalities. She's also going to be the one in charge of designs when it comes to flipping houses, too. Because I tried that before in the past. It was all guys and it didn't work out very well. <laughs> yeah, I would say like I've done a lot of like, I mean, I did graphic design for like those Photoshop templates, for example, for Etsy digital products. So I guess I do have a little more like the art side, hopefully. <laughs> and Sharon, you've talked a little bit about, you know, building a brand. And I was sometimes when we interview folks like they go so far in the kind of real world execution part and then they start like building their brand and that starts to kind of become the focus. So. I guess, where are you guys at in your journey as far as, you know, continuing to do the real estate versus building your brand? Are you, are you starting to focus more on the brand than actually real estate deals or just kind of how are things shaking out right now? I mean, we just try to do both. I think that a big part of the real estate thing is like we can document it on our social media. And I feel like that's a lot of what people are looking for. So I get excited because like if we attempt some new venture, we can talk about it and go from the beginning to the end. And that's what we really did for the moldy house. And it seems like people really enjoy that content. So I think we like to have a mix because it's like one part is the actual doing of it. And then the other one's like the documenting of it. But I think every day we are like creating content. Usually we're either scripting or filming, getting the pieces edited. So that does take up a lot of the time. I do want to put more time into real estate. And I want to do more with it because it's just fun for me, like all these different things. Real estate is definitely something I'm passionate about because I really like the feeling when I make something distressed look beautiful. It just feels good, that transformation. Yeah. And I would say it's all cyclical, too, because don't get me wrong, we're still doing more real estate deals. Besides doing the cash out refinance and getting that big paycheck, we also closed on seven properties with none of our own money. So that's another thing we can document, too, how we bought a seven property portfolio with no extra money into the deal. I also do hard money loans too. So like all the social media content feeds into the business of doing more loans for people. Yeah, I'd also say that I think right now we're kind of being a little more patient with the real estate side too, because like, I think like the interest rates have been going crazy and stuff like that. So markets are being a little bit shifty. So we're not, we're <laughs> we're not, not trying to go too hard and dump all our money in it. You know, take your time. Yeah, exactly. So social media is just like one of those things you can keep working on like every single day. And then real estate, when there's like the good deals or like, opportunities we can just go seize it so do you guys just have like warren buffett on speed dial for these seven hard money loans or is it a kind of a network or some kind of platform that you're sourcing all these lenders from so again i work as a hard money lender as a loan officer so i do hard money loans for people across the country that's a separate business and in terms of our own personal lenders we just created a network of lenders just through the years of doing business and it's like oh hey like who do you get your loans from oh this guy cool i call this guy and i'll find out more information about their terms and whatnot and Sean, I'm actually myself been really curious about like hard money lending. And we may have some folks who are listening who got the cash, but they're just don't really have the time or they don't have the expertise to get into real estate themselves. And that's just a way they want to get their foot in the door is by helping other people do these flips. And they want to do some hard money lending. If you're just an individual who wants to get into something like that, what are the steps that you take to protect yourself? Because, you know, you're you're handing over large sums of money to someone that Hopefully, you know, fairly well, but, you know, kind of what are you doing for recourse and to kind of protect yourself when you start handing over forty, eighty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 to someone? That's a good question. So again, to clarify, I work for a large hard money lending company. So we're not really selling our loans off to these like, individual like mom and pop kind of people. But if you are like a private money lender, kind of like what we use for our rehab project, for sure. Number one is make sure that there is enough meat in the deal where the borrower doesn't just walk away. In our case, we bought this whole property with our own cash. So we're in it for $120,000 right away. 
we're not going to walk away from the deal, right? If we did, then that whole property would go to that person. So that's one thing. Like, don't make, make sure they're not just getting 100% leverage on one part and you're putting in another $50,000 on top because then it's so easy for them to walk away, the deal goes sour. Um, two, again, it's, it's all about trust, right? You got to make sure that these people have good character, good history of paying back. And number three, of course, make sure the deal is good. Like if the deal is bad, don't give them the money on the deal. Yeah, and have it all in writing. Yes, have it all in writing, especially <laughs> when things go sour. Like what happens if blah, 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 blah. Because sometimes people think, oh, you're going to get, you know, 10% interest and two points. What happens if the deal doesn't go south and this guy goes bankrupt? How are you going to get your money back, right? All that needs to be spelled out in the contract. Yeah, I think that was the part I was kind of, I don't know if that's something, maybe it's just that simple. But when you said, well, if this goes bad, like they're going to walk away with this house. How do they actually set that up? Like what are the mechanics to say that this person takes ownership of the home if you walk away? You can put a lien on the house. So that's typically what happens. It's either a first lien position or second lien position, depending on where you are in the, in the stack. So at face value, I mean, you guys are just doing like so much stuff. You're both working, quote unquote, like real jobs. You both have these massive personal brands. You're doing real estate investing. I guess, Sharon, I'll start with you. What does a day in the life look like? Like, what is the daily routine that <laughs> makes this possible to get all this stuff done? I don't think I have like anything that like i don't know it's not some crazy schedule or anything like that i mean i just make sure i keep up with my content but i feel like i have different days for like what i do so like one day will be more like the scripting side and then another day will be like the filming thing and then yeah i work full time as well so like i'm usually taking meetings and stuff with uh, the company but when i have time i will like work on like the content side or talk to him about real estate or whatever so it's just finding time, but also I feel like I work weekends too, but not really like in the sense of like, I don't think I work as crazy hard as a lot of people think I do. We definitely have fun a lot. We go out to eat all the time. I guess another thing is like, I'll write down my to-do list like the night before usually before I sleep. So then I know exactly like the things I just need to tackle every single day. And I, I also feel like you don't need to be the most productive person all the time. It's just, I think, a matter of like working on something like consistently every day because, yeah, it might take you longer than the person who's like the most effective and productive, but you'll probably still get there like over the years. So that's kind of like how I treat like my personal brand. When I went into it, I was thinking it's going to be like a five plus year endeavor. Like I knew it was going to be a long time. So I was just like, as long as I'm like working on it every single week or whatever, I know it's going to get somewhere. So that's, that's kind of my thought process. Yeah. So to echo what she said, there is a to-do list that needs to be done every day. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So like we know, it's going to take some time. And like you also said, there is an 80-20 rule. So mm -hmm. as long as the important 20% gets done, then over time, you're good to where you want to be. Yeah, that's like a really good point. Because I think that there's a lot of times where I'm like wanting to just do the other stuff that's like easier and know that like I, I still keep like putting that 20% off but it's like I know that if I actually like force myself to like okay if I get that done by the end of the day then I'll, I'll feel good about myself like that's like the thing you're supposed to work on every single day right and that will usually get you from A to B and that's a lot of what people avoid I feel like. And I also want to echo here too or more importantly it's I think it's better to have that long-term mentality I know a lot of people, they hustle and they sacrifice everything, mm. but it's like, you need to live too. So I, I make sure that we're, we're good health-wise. So we go to the gym pretty often, we work out, we do take leisure time to relax. And yeah, again, as long as the checklist gets done, we're good to go. 
And one thing I'm interested in, and you may both have different takes on this. So, you know, we can, we can go through both of you. We can start with you, Sean, but like what, for someone who is just looking to get into real estate in a market that we're in right now, like you just mentioned, like market, the interest rates are really high, like prices are really high. You've kind of dealt with real estate in so many different forms of fashions. Like if somebody who's trying to get into it now in this current market, what's maybe why you would recommend them getting started? I always tell people to go to the local meetup events just because every real estate market is different. And like, for example, in the Bay Area, most people aren't buying holds in the Bay Area. If they're doing buying holds, they're buying out of state, which is what we did. But you know, if you're from, let's say, Nashville, Tennessee, maybe you're buying in Nashville. So go to local meetups and see what other real estate investors in your area are doing and how are they facing the same challenges that are being present for everyone in the market. Again, it's all different, but talking to people who are in your area will give you a you know, big heads up. Yeah, I think personally also, like I like looking for properties that cash flow so that if anything happens with the market, if there's a downturn, like you can still hold it and still cash flow or even like possibly break even or something and you can hold it long term and withstand that and then it'll come back up normally. So, I mean, I guess that's what I recommend that like you could start looking for a cash flowing rental property. That's like the safer bet versus like just betting all on like appreciation. You never know if you're buying at a high and then it, you know, goes down or something. I would say, yeah, you know, go to meetups, start learning, start reading books, podcasts, and you could possibly invest in like a cheaper rental. Like, so for us, we, you mentioned like we invest out of state. So that's why it's like more affordable. It's like less risk. So you could potentially look in different markets as well if you want to get more cash flow and have lower risk. So I feel like a lot of people who at least start to dive into the real estate world, they, you know, maybe get introduced to content like you guys or bigger pockets community, and they understand that you can kind of create mostly passive income with real estate. But something that's interesting about both of your content, I know Sharon, specifically, you have that like side hustle idea thread that you do on Instagram on your reels. I feel like a lot of people in the side hustle community, again, real estate people kind of understand this, but in the side hustle community, a lot of people focus on like active side hustles where you have to trade your time for money. It's like driving for Uber, it's freelance writing, it's video editing, it's all these things that aren't exactly scalable. But I feel like you guys kind of focus on these side hustles that you put in the time, the energy up front, and those side hustles pay you dividends in the future, like some Amazon FBA stuff, like selling on Etsy or digital products anyway. When did that kind of transition kind of happen? And like, or is that just what you always focused on? Because again, most people in the side hustle space, I think, just focus on the wrong stuff, like stuff that you can't really scale yourself out of at some point. I would say that like active side hustles, it can be beneficial in a sense of if you are like needing more income and like you need these other income streams, like it's a way to get money quicker. So you have a little bit more stability in a sense of side hustles that generate passive income. I think it takes more time and you don't know if it's going to come or not. So like for certain situations, like the active side hustles can work to help you build more income and a bigger nest egg. So you can put that back into other things. And then that way you can focus on passive income later. I would say for me, I've always been interested in cash flow and passive income. I think when I first started playing Monopoly when I was a little kid, I was like, ooh, like getting cash flow is nice. <laughs> so that's like, I think something I always 
wanted. But I know when I transitioned to traveling for two years and building passive income streams, I also took like two other part-time remote positions. And then my full-time position became a part-time remote position. So I had like three while I was building my passive income. So it was kind of like, it allowed me to transition to passive income without like a huge risk. I knew some income was coming in because I was working actively on something, but it freed up more time because I wasn't working a nine to five. I could focus on that you know, Etsy store or like merch by Amazon or blogging, I had that time to like try new things. So yeah, I would say that I've always been interested in passive income. And I think that's like the goal, you know, for a lot of people that like having money work for you then allows you a lot more time in your life. So you can spend time like with your loved ones, traveling, working on your dreams, giving back all these different things. Yeah. And for me, it's been that way since day one too. Like I've never considered a side hustle where I had to do active income. Because otherwise, I would just play the career game, right? I would just ask for promotion. I would try to do all these things or jump jobs and get more salary. I wouldn't do an extra job on top of what I'm already doing. I think that like a lot of my content around side hustles, like I still present the active side hustles because it's just like there's so many opportunities out there. And I just want people to see it so that they don't feel like they're they have to work the nine to five if they hate their job. So if that means like freelance writing or something like that if, if you're happy doing that and you love writing, that works, right? So I just wanted to present a bunch of opportunities for people. So Sean, you have named off a ton of stuff that you're involved in. I'm kind of curious if, and maybe, maybe there's an agreement between the two of you, maybe there's not, but if you're looking at the future and you're thinking about like, is there like an exit point? Is there a goal at which you're like, if we meet this, then we're kind of going to wrap all this up and we're just going to quit what we're doing completely? Or is this a lifelong thing where you just could see this the portfolio of properties that continue to grow, the brand continue to grow, or do you have some kind of high level goals that once you hit, you kind of have an exit strategy? So it's funny because both of us have actually quit our jobs at some point in the past. And we realized that when you're young and you quit, it gets really boring. <laughs> it's weird to think about it when you're so busy, you're like, oh my God, I want to quit. But when you really quit and you have nothing to do, it's really, really boring. So I don't think we're going to do like nothing. If we do leave our full-time jobs, it would mean we'd be working on our own businesses. I see my parents, right? I see her parents. I'm like, damn, I don't want that life where all you do is garden all day. That's not an interesting <laughs> life to me. <laughs> so like, what else would we be doing? Yeah, I'm happy that we have a lot of interests and we have a lot of things we want to do with our lives. I think that even if we retired, it'd be like what you mentioned. We'd still be working on real estate. We'd still be working on our brand because it's just fun. And I personally feel like I try not to focus on the numeric goal when I did that in the past, I just was not happy. I was always in my head and I was trying to like increase the number and then also being like, what's the point of this? Like I, you know, I already can technically retire, I guess. Yeah. Like, so you mm -hmm. were saying you went to Chiang Mai, right? And you mm -hmm. saw all these other people chilling in Chiang yeah. Mai. That's not a life that you want to live. Yeah, exactly. I felt like there's just more for me to learn and like build to create impact. And I feel like that's what we're doing now. We're focusing on the stuff that like matters to us. And We'll just see where that journey takes us. I feel like something we haven't talked about yet is both you guys kind of hop on the mic in different capacities. Sean, you got the We Love Real Estate podcast. Sharon, I saw some of your songs <laughs> on YouTube. Nice. <laughs> when did that start for both of you guys? Yeah, I mean, I did covers and stuff like with music since like high school. So I think like in 2000. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> so I was just I was just doing that for fun. And then I, I remember in college, I like would 
do covers and stuff and like I took it a little more seriously like I think after college too I would like make music videos and stuff but I think like I realized my passion is creating so it doesn't have to be music it's also like entrepreneurship and all these other things like I had a friend who was like I'm going all in on music that's like the only thing I can envision myself doing I just never had that feeling and then I think when I traveled I was like oh I want more freedom to you know pursue all these things I'm interested in so now, like now that we're working on this, I think in the in the, in the future, I might, you know, do more music or something. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, basically 2006, I guess, was when I started YouTube, but I kind of stopped. And then I like did this personal finance YouTube in what, 2019? Yeah, 2019. But I was like, I don't want to make another YouTube channel because I already did that. But now I'm like really happy I did it because it's definitely a different thing. You're talking on the mic versus just singing a cover or whatever. It's definitely a different vibe, but I'm glad I did it because people seem to enjoy the content. So. Yeah. And for me, I started my podcast in late 2018. It's actually before we met. And it was because I had flipped a couple of houses. I did some real estate deals. But again, I didn't feel fulfilled. Like I made a bunch of money, but no one else really got any benefit from it. So I wanted a way to give back. So I had a podcast actually when we first met. And then that transformed to doing a YouTube channel, again, Instagram, TikTok, and all that stuff. So you guys are not collabing on a song anytime soon. <laughs> Definitely not. I don't have the pipes, man. <laughs> Sean, you're not rocking the background vocals? Oh, definitely not. I would kill the song. I always try to have him sing, but he like says no. No. <laughs> Too embarrassed. Well, even if there's not any new music, I know we're going to continue to see like tons of content from you guys as you continue to do and more documentation of all these cool properties that you're doing. And if there's people who are out there who want to keep up with you, keep up your story and see what the next venture is and see what the next way you're going to come out and make money with real estate is, where's the best places for people to you know keep up with your story and contact you? Yeah, you can check out all like my social channels with my full name. So Sharon, T-S-E-U-N-G. So Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. You guys can also check out our out-of-state investing course called Remote Rental Riches. If your listeners are interested, go ahead and use the coupon code FISHOW and you guys can get 20% off for the first five listeners. Woohoo! Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> yeah, and if you guys want to check out my stuff, uh, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Sean Loves Real Estate. That's S-E-A-N, Sean Loves Real Estate. And YouTube channel as well. Everything, or sorry, youtube.com slash Invest. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that covers all the bases. We will link everything up in the show notes so people don't have to remember all the different handles and websites and stuff and get people connected with you. But just want to thank you guys again for coming on. I know it's been a long time coming. We connected at FinCon and I tried to grab you guys right after that, but you guys have been busy doing all this amazing stuff we just talked about today. So really just want to thank you both so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Us. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.